Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. This is very important material. It's very apropos for the day that this church is in right now. So I want you to know that I spent the afternoon in prayer and I sought the Lord again and again, reread my notes, reread scriptures. The Lord spoke to me. I've added some things to it that I did not expect. I've changed the title following the guide of the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 13. passage some of you will no doubt be familiar with. 2 Samuel chapter 13 starting at verse 1 says and it came to pass after this that Absalom the son of David had a fair sister whose name was Tamar and Amnon the son of David loved her and Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar For she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. A son of the king had fallen into a state of lust, but he was proper. He was a godly man like his father. He understood that there was nothing that he could do. His thoughts were improper. His ideas were improper, but he was succumbing to something that was affecting his flesh. And it says in verse 3, But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. You can be seated. Most of you in this room are familiar with this story. And I'm not going to read the rest of the scripture. It's not the key focus of my message. But you'll know that Jonadab, this man that served in the house and served David, was a good friend of David, no no doubt wanting to please David and wanting to give David the answers that he wanted to hear, manufactures a plot and conspires with David in a method that essentially would cause a horrific event. David would eventually have his way with his half-sister. He would defile her, break a tremendous number of laws in God's world and and in, in the laws of Moses and at the same time committing this sin he turned and he ended up hating her the Bible says and she lived on in David's house and was defiled and never married and never had children but the point in this message is that Amnon had a friend he chose a friend that led him to a very terrible decision. It was never his intention to do this act, but listening, spending time with someone he trusted, a friend, with a companion who agreed with him and agreed with his state, he followed bad counsel. Turn to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. I want to preach to you tonight. I I want to enjoin 
with you tonight as my church, as my brothers and my sisters, as my friends, as my family members. I want to mention to you, I want to embrace you, but I want to share this message with you. I stand for the flock and I stand with the flock. Acts chapter 20 and 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. That is my job as the shepherd of this flock, as the pastor of this church. It is my job that the Holy Ghost has made me an overseer to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. But you also are under shepherds. You also are those that are charged with the Holy Ghost to feed the flock, to, to act positively with one another, to feed each other, and to protect each other as it is my job to stand with the flock. It says in verse 29, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. I need you to understand that in the hour that we are in, a wonderful hour, by the way, a time when we're starting to see our visitors come again, post-COVID, post-transition, all these other things. We're seeing guests come in. It's great to see Leah and, and Juan tonight. Thank you guys again for being here tonight. Love and appreciate you guys. I was told we had several visitors again on Sunday, and I've heard remarks that were made about them enjoying service. Some of them are calling this home. We're at a time, folks, that's so incredibly important. We're at a turning point. We're, we're at the place where the church is turning the corner. Do you understand all the things that God has promised us, the things that he's laid upon my heart to share with you, the things that you've worked so hard in your ministries and in the way that you've dedicated yourselves to the, th to, to the calling of the pastor and the calling that God's put on you to share. And whatever ministry that it is, it's coming to fruition. But this is a dangerous time. It's a time when we're susceptible. It's a time when the flock essentially is young, if you think it that way. If you want to look at it that way, we're beginning to take that turn. And now is the time when the devil is going to be most unhappy. Now is the time when he's going to begin to attack. And it says that they will arise amongst us. Men shall arise amongst us. Now, am I saying people within our church people sitting in this room right now? No, that's not what I'm saying. And believe me, if any of you are starting to have the thoughts go through your head, who's he preaching about? I wonder who got into trouble this week. That is not what this is about. I believe right now that we have a tremendous flock. We've got a great group of people. I'm constantly constantly singing the praises of my church amongst my peers. My bishop, I was on the phone with him the other day. How's church going, Brother Cordell? Man, Brother Booker, I'm telling you, we have got an awesome group of people. We've got visitors coming in. Our, our worship services are off the hook. The Holy Ghost is moving. People are working together. There's unity. Is there any agreement with me in the house tonight on that point? Amen. But I'm talking about a time when we are susceptible, 
when perhaps old habits, perhaps old relationships, perhaps things that maybe we've, we've been susceptible to in the past can rise up. The enemy can use these little weak spots, these little chinks in our armor. He can use things that are subtle. It says it right there in the Word that Jonadab was a subtle man. He spoke quietly to, 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 to David. Oh, come on, David, here's a plan. Let's, let's get together and you pretend that you're sick and, and you call for your sister to come and take care of you and make some cakes and guess what you'll be all alone with her and there's your opportunity isn't that wonderful Jonadab we're susceptible to those things the voice of the enemy spoken through a wrongly selected friend or an associate or a, a, a counterpart or someone who's got a captive attention with us you see the role of the pastor the role of the elders the role of the leaders in this matter are very clear in Scripture. If you turn to Titus chapter 1, I'll share the next piece that the Lord gave me in prayer. Titus chapter 1, starting at verse 5, it says, For this cause left I thee in Crete. Now understand at this time, Crete was a populace. There were many cities. It's an island. In the, it's, in, it's in the Mediterranean. It's the, it's the Greek island of Crete, right? And, and so there were, it's a large island, and there were many cities on, on Crete. And they were bringing the gospel. He says that, that thou should have set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, these are qualifications that Paul is writing, uh, to, or that Titus is writing, uh, he's he, he, put in uh, to, to lay out qualifications for these elders that Paul is directing. And he says, if, there any, if they be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Now it goes on in verse 7 to say, for a bishop. Now that's the equivalent of a pastor. So you've got pastors, you've got elder leaders that are leading over these churches. Paul could not, could not pastor all of them. Titus could not pastor all of them. They were sending elders and establishing pastors. It says for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine nor striker, which means ready to punch somebody if they don't make them happy. Uh, it says not given to filthy lucre. That means not greedy, not looking for money and everything. But a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Now look at verse 9. It says, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. And I read that scripture and God spoke to me through that. And I'm telling you, everything that I've given you, every word that I've laid out here, every word that I've gotten from the Lord, every piece that I've laid out before the church is because it's something that through the word and through faithful, wonderful leaders and a great pastor, these are the things that I have been taught. It says that he may be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. You know what gainsayers are? It's those that contradict or speak against the pastor or the elder or the doctrine or whoever's teaching. That by sound doctrine, to be able to exhort, uplift, and, and share, and to convince the gainsayers. 
Verse 10 goes on to say, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Those are the believers. You understand that the challenge that was happening to these new churches that were being lifted up in Crete, these new works that were beginning to turn the corner, Paul had established the word. These new works, these new leaders were being put in place. And it wasn't heathens. It wasn't the Huns or some other group, Arabs or something from someplace else. It was believers that were vexing the leaders and Paul with these things coming against them. Whose mouths must be stopped. Who subvert or mislead whole houses, teaching things that they ought not to for filthy lucre's sake. Now in that terminology, filthy lucre is used twice in this passage. The first one was a, it means greed. It's about greedy gain. This one means to, for personal gain or advantage. It doesn't have to do with money. Verse 12 goes on to say, one of, of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars and evil beasts and slow bellies. That means they're lazy and useless. He, he goes on to say, this witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. It's like saying nothing is sacred. Any topic can be defiled or discussed or twisted or turned or fought over or argued about and so on. And we'll read about that here in just a minute. It says, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. He's talking to these leaders. He's talking to these people of God that are living by the faith. He knows that these folks exist. He knows that they're there. What he's saying is, is when you're being countered with something, when there's something come, uh, coming at you of false doctrine, these things that are being thrown out at you, things that are false, you've got to rebuke them sharply. You've got to put a stop to it right now. For their sakes... But even their mind and conscience is defiled, he says. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. See, folks, these people exist. The Christian church, the true doctrine-believing core of the Christian church is under attack. Not just here, not just there, everywhere. Because the enemy is rampant. The time is short. And I know you hear this a lot and you've heard it before, but the time is short. And when is the storm going to get harder than ever before? It's going to be right before the dawn. We've got to understand that now is the time to guard ourselves against listening to these things, allowing these things into our lives, allowing these things to linger and, 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 and sort of float about. Chad spoke on Sunday morning so well. He's talked about Goliath and taking the head off of Goliath. You know why you take the head off of Goliath? Because he can't get back up off the ground and come charging at you again. With the head's gone, the body ain't gonna work. But you know what happened after Goliath? 
got his head taken off. Every Philistine soldier that was standing there watching the army, watching what was going on, they were still standing there when Goliath went down with the rock in his forehead. But you know what happened? When David took that sword out of Goliath's sheath and whacked his head off, every Philistine soldier took off running. That's why you take the head off. That's why you put a stop to these things. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it reads like this. This is Paul writing again, starting at verse 6. He says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw or abstain or avoid yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. You're going to notice a common thread through these scriptures as God led me through this message. It dawned on me, it occurred to me, it hit me like a sledgehammer that every single one of these examples were talking about dealing with people that we might call brother or sister. I'm sorry for that. And I wept. I sat at my desk this afternoon and wept. Because I recognize that people are going to fall to these things. They're going to separate themselves. They're going to be, there's reasons, and we'll talk about it moving forward. But that it, it's just going to happen. And I don't know why, and I don't want it to happen. And I don't want people to move away from the doctrine and quit and take that spirit that's with them. And in order to justify what they're doing, they're going to come and they're going to talk to you. And they're going to get in your ear. And they're going to say, oh, but do you really think that you think that's necessary? Do you really think that's the right thing? You know, I don't think that's right. I, what do you think about this? And that's when we got to stand tall on the doctrine. And that's when the pastor's got to stand for the flock and say, no more. I'm not letting wolves in sheep's clothing circumnavigate the outside of these walls ready to start picking up my, my saints, my sheep, my flock, my friends, my family and start talking that stuff in there. You know... I sat here in pre-service prayer and there's not a lot of folks and I felt odd about that. Our Wednesday night services have been very good. Many of you have come in right at the 6.30. Thank you for that, by the way. And thank you for being here. Midweek matters. But the Lord spoke to me and he said, who needs to be here will be here. And who needs to pick it up on the broadcast will pick it up on the broadcast. And who needs to see it later in recording will see it in recording. But his work will be done. Second Thessalonians 3, chapter, excuse me, chapter 3, starting at verse 6 says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from them, avoid yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received in us. He's talking about the doctrine that was given to them through Christ, that was given to, David, given to Paul when he was knocked off the horse, and the time that he spent in treating the, the Holy Ghost and, and receiving from Christ. He talks about in the Word how he had such a personal contact in relationship with Jesus, it was almost like Paul had been there before he was crucified, which we know he was not. He says, not after the tradition which he received of us for yourselves, know that you ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. 
not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. You understand what Paul's talking? Why are we talking about working and eating bread? Because I'll tell you what, when your hands are to the grindstone, when your focus is on the work of God, when you're working to, to earn your bread, if you get what we're saying here, when you're working towards what God's called you to do, you don't have any time to sit around and look from side to side or go to somebody else's church or make phone calls to someone else's church's people and start talking about things that are going wrong or passing rumors from side to side. You don't have any time for that. You got time to work and focus on the lost and the people that desperately need Jesus. Sometimes people have got far too much time on their hand and they're eating their own bread. For even we were with you, this we commanded you, he says, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, walking not at, working not at all. You know, the great Babe Ruth used to say, the loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. Think about that for a second. The cheapest ticket in the stadium didn't take a whole lot of sacrifice to get into. But that's where the loudest boos come from. Some not working at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and they eat their own bread. In other words, if you're not going to partake of the meal that we're partaking of, you just be quiet and you go ahead and eat your own bread. Leave us out of it. Leave my flock out of it. Leave my people and my brothers and my sisters out of it. That's what he's saying. Come on, that's what he's saying. Verse 13 goes on to say, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. You've heard that scripture many times. We've plucked it out of this piece. But here's where it exists. Here's where it lies. Be ye but ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, it says, Note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Wow, pastor, that sounds harsh. That's, you're, you're, you're talking about just kicking people out of your life? Telling, you're talking about hanging up the phone? Are you talking about walking people out of your house? I, I, what are you saying here? Yes! I'm saying yes! I'm saying it's time that we take a stand. We sit sometimes and we listen to this rabble and babble and nonsense. How many of us have a relative out there somewhere, some distant relative that just loves to kind of poke and jab and you're at some kind of an event and they make a snarky comment about, well, did you thump your Bible today or something like that? Shut it down. It's our job. Note that man, it says. Does that mean be cruel to them? Does that mean be rude, shout, be angry? No, not at all. Always carry your godly character in this situation. Always be humble in what you do. Do what you can, and you'll see in just a moment there's instruction for this. Do what you can to try to reason. Do what you can to give a chance. Do what you can to let the truth be known. But if the thing is rejected, if it's just constantly being thrown back in your face, if something is just not right in your Holy Ghost, and brother and sister, your Holy Ghost ought to be telling you if you're sitting with a divider. But if your Holy Ghost just ain't sitting right, you've got to make a decision. Are you going to protect the flock or are you going to stand and take that and let that stuff enter your brain Amen. I stand with the flock twice 
we're instructed in that scripture passage to separate from these kind of people. But it goes on in verse 15 and it says, Yet, count him not as an enemy. This is so important. This is so important. We live in a world today that just preaches constantly that if you disagree with me, you're my enemy. You don't think the way I do? We're enemies. That's not right. But listen, it's also not right to take false doctrine and nod. Yep, yep, I see what you're saying about that. Yeah, I agree with you. Or take a tax on your church or a tax on your people or a tax on your pastor or a tax on your family and say, oh, that's okay. Yeah, I suppose I could see where that's a problem. Wrong. Count him not as an enemy, but admonish. That means warn or caution or reprove gently. Admonish him as a brother. That's important. See, nobody's a write-off. Nobody's a toss-out. Nobody's a, you know, give them the hook. At least not immediately. Admonish them as a brother. Gently. We know this scripture passage very well. Proverbs chapter 6, 16 through 19. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination. That's a big word in God's world. Abominations don't go away. If it was an abomination in Genesis chapter 5, it's an abomination in Revelation chapter 2. If it's an abomination in God's world, it's an abomination for all time. It's heavy verbiage. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination unto him. He hates them, and they're an abomination. A proud look, a lying tongue. Everybody know what a proud look is? Just walk around there haughty. I just, I'm better than you. Get away from me. I don't even look at you when you pass by me in the hallway. I got nothing to do with you. That's a proud look. A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, nasty ideas, and coming up with things that didn't exist. Making up stories is what that's talking about. Feet that be swift into running into mischief, which means literally evil. A false witness that speaks lies. You understand if you're sitting with somebody and you know that they're spitting false doctrine, or at least it sounds like false, or a false witness against somebody that you know. You're listening to an abomination, and it needs to stop. And he that soweth discord, which of course means strife or contention or division among the brethren. God clearly hates division and dividers. That's a strong word. That's a strong, pastor, how can you say that? That he hates it. These six things does the Lord hate. H-E-T-E. He hates them. And he doesn't like the dividers that go with them either. Amos chapter 3 and 3, the question is asked by the prophet, can two walk together except they be agreed? Proverbs 13 and 20 says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Back in Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 8, he says that the saying, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. This is the ESV now, so just try to follow me and listen. This is, this is Paul again writing to Titus. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Okay, this is good stuff. But avoid foolish controversies, 
debating all the time. Genealogies. You know what the Jews, the, the Pharisees used to do? They used to debate all the time about whose lineage came from who and all that genealogy. Don't do that. That's, that's not for today. Dissensions or dissenting from, from the agreement. Okay, constantly dissenting, constantly quarreling uh, with, with the rule that's set out there or the decision that's made. That's what that means. And quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person, now listen, who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, this is what he says, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person, listen to what the ESV says, is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. These are strong words. I told you this was heavy. But man, I feel the unction of the Holy Ghost right now that I'm armoring some people. I'm shielding some people. I'm getting some boldness in some people that have been dealing with something. Somebody's been dealing with something and it's been nagging at them and they've been tortured, whether back and forth. Should I keep going with this person? Should I keep allowing this conversation to happen? But I'm trying to get them back to church. I'm trying to get something fixed. But I'm telling you right now, you give them that once and you give them that twice. And if it does not work, you shut it down. Lord, help us. Romans chapter 16 and 17, another passage I know you're very familiar with, but I'm going to remind you. It says, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. That word mark means to observe or pay attention or watch. It doesn't mean to get a group of people together and say, hey, see Ted over there? Bob, Fred, hey, Ted's a jerk. Don't go by him. He's got a problem. That's not what that means. It means pay attention. It means to watch or observe. Be careful. With, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. And avoid them. For they are such that serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good works and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. That word doesn't mean stupid or unintelligent. It means people that are unaware. We just have nice friends that we know, right? We, we've got people we know outside of here, and, and some of them call themselves Christians, and some of them don't, but, but they're just nice folks, and so we're unaware, right? We're simple. We're just, hey, Fred, how you doing? And Fred all of a sudden says, hey, hey, I, I watched your pastor on, on the, that live stream thing the other day, and you know, I, I don't know if what he was talking about is, you know, that's not the way my pastor said it. That's not the way I was, you know what I'm saying? You understand what, I, what I'm getting at? Subtle, like Jonadab. For your obedience, it says in verse 19, is come abroad unto all men. That means your character and your adherence to this is going to show through. Because I'll tell you what, in my past times and times in the past, I've seen people that have been stuck in a situation like this and constantly weighed down with the negative words of somebody else, the negative attacks of somebody else, and, and they kind of go, hi, Pastor, hi, Fred, hi, Mary. And they get weighed down with this stuff, and they start carrying it in their conscience, and it starts bothering them and affects their character. All of these things will be seen abroad, but if you're a person that stands tall in the doctrine, you've warded these things out of your life, just like watching bad stuff on TV, just like going to bad movies. You don't do that stuff. You don't allow it into your eyes, do you? Don't allow this stuff into your ears. That's what he's saying. 
And the more you stand up tall and do that, if you've walked, if somebody walked in here tonight and just sat home right before service and watched some awful, terrible movie, things that they shouldn't be watching, I'll tell you what, that countenance shows. If you don't come in here all joyful, hey, I'm ready to praise God. No, no, no. How you guys doing? That's what he's talking about. You're going to wear it. And it's going to show through. Your obedience has come abroad to all men. And I am glad, he says, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. That's all I'm doing, folks. I'm pointing out the evil. I'm pointing out the works of the enemy. I'm standing my, for my flock and I'm saying, I want you to recognize the things that are going to come at this church, the things that are going to come at your ministries, the things that are going to be spoken to your children and to your families. Oh, you think you're dealing with that person. You think you're dealing with, I can handle Fred. He's, he's got an issue, but no problem. Wait till Fred starts pulling your kids aside. Hey, hell, you know, this doctor, you know, actually well, the real truth is, you understand what I'm saying? You know that we've had people in past times, we've had people come here, spend time here in, 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 in fellowship of our flock and have actually tried to pull people aside and say, hey, listen, uh, you know, I, I, the real truth of the matter is, I know that happened because one time it happened to one of my children and I put a stop to it. Well, if I'm going to protect my children that way, doesn't it make sense I'm going to protect my flock? Amen. Folks, I know I'm riled up, and I'm telling you, I carried the weight of this thing for, for most of the day today, but it's heavy material, but it's, it's, got, it, it's got to be, God wants this church armored with this information. Here's that famous warning in 2 Timothy. You guys have read this. I've used it in Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, but I've just got a brief thing to share with it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. I'm not even going to ask you if you know this is the last days. You know for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Just selfishness will be rampant. Covetous, which means they love money. Boasters, which means they're pretenders. Proud, which means they overestimate their own personal merits or means, and they despise others doing it. They have contempt for people. Blasphemers, which means slanderous or railing or evil speaking. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful, which means ingracious. Unholy, which means wicked. Without natural affection, which means they're just flat out inhuman or unloving. Truce breakers, which means they break agreements with you. They don't stick to their word. They're false accusers. Incontinent, which means they don't have any self-control. Fierce, which means they're savage. Despisers of those that are good. Traitors, which means they betray you the first chance they have an opportunity. Heady, which means they're rash and they're reckless. High-minded, which means they're lifted up with pride and lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. This is a promise for the time of, of the last days. But I want you to understand something. It's so critically important that you've got to know that the people that are diving into these type of things, not only are they people that call themselves believers, but they're not going to stop at their own decision to behave this way. They're looking for compatriots. They're looking for people to jump on the bandwagon with them. You see, they want partners. And you know where that comes from? It comes from the spirit of Jezebel. It comes from the spirit of Korah. It comes from the spirit of Baal. And it comes from that spirit of control that comes into the church and is attacking the churches in the last days. You see, Korah needed a compatriot. He wanted to come against Moses and the people, but he couldn't do it by himself. And he had to get a whole bunch of people up there with him and started preaching all these false words. 
You understand, it's, it, they're not going to stop at just making this decision for themselves. They want you. They want your child. They want your neighbor. They want your friend. They want your pastor affected by it. It's the spirit of the world. It's the spirit of Cain and Abel and Balaam and Jezebel. It just exists. It's just the way it is. Read Jude, the book of Jude. We go down to verse 8 and you find the archangel Gabriel battling against Korah, the spirit of Korah, Balaam, and Cain. And, and he's doing battle with them and they're tormenting the churches of the latter days. They're not going to stop at this. And listen to what it says in verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. That power is the Holy Ghost. I've told you before, you remember this, that word power is dunamis. It's the same word from Acts chapter 1 and 8. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. These are people who are declaring themselves Christians, believers, but they've denied the Holy Ghost because if it operated in their lives, they wouldn't be succumbing to this stuff right here. A push against the doctrine is just part of the deal, folks. Look at 2 John chapter 1, and I'm almost done. 2 John chapter 1 and 9 starts out this way. It says, whosoever transgresseth, gresseth, excuse me, that's a hard one, to, which means transgress there means to go past or pass over or to depart or leave or be turned away from. That's what that means. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that bideth in, the, abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, now listen, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Not only that, it means to wish them farewell. Not only that, he says, for he that biddeth him Godspeed partakes of his evil deeds. That ought to be incentive enough for you. Somebody comes knocking on your door. Oh, hey, Fred. Hey, hey, Mary. I, I'm just here to bring over some fudge. I'm just here to stop in and say hi. Oh, boy. By the way, did you hear that thing about the pastor? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm praying for him, but I think he's got some issues. Blah, 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 blah. You know, the pastor's talking about XYZ out of the Bible the other day, and Actually, I want to share something with you because I, I learned this early and, and it, it, he's wrong. It really means blah, 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 blah. You know what he's, what he's saying when John, when John is saying, don't even bid him farewell, don't even say Godspeed? Move him out of the house and don't say, good luck, adios, have a great day, farewell. Don't even do that because you partake of the evil that they just brought into your home. That's how serious this is. That's how critically important it is that we guard ourselves, that we guard the flock, guard our families and our children and guard one another and our leaders and God forbid our pastor who needs it more than anybody else. <laughs> I'm closing right now. I want to talk to you about the unashamed workman. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it's of, of these things put them in remembrance. This is Paul writing to his good friend Timothy, the one he raised up, the pastor that he trained, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. In other words, by doing this, it, it, it literally ruins the listener. Strive about words to no profit. 
mincing words and constantly chasing arguments around. But the pastor said this, but he said that, he's, but Fred said that, but Fred said that, and I'm leaving because he, one time, he said, it ruins the listener. That famous scripture we all know so well, we quote, is right in the middle of this passage. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Folks, I say this with all sincerity and care and love for my flock. Do not put yourself in a place where you should be ashamed for who you are allowing into your ear and who you are allowing into your home and who you are allowing to spew things that should not be said and should not be heard amongst good Christian people. Don't put yourself in a place where you are not a good workman and you need to be ashamed. Don't do it. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. In other words, they'll start to affect you. They will impact you. You listen to somebody long enough, and you're going to start to take on some of it. And their word will eat as doth a canker. You know what canker is in that verse? It's gangrene. Their words will eat away at you like like a gangrenous limb that was cut off and untreated. And slowly it will just eat its way through you. That's what he's saying. It's a progressive rotting. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. If you look at 1 Timothy, Paul is talking about uh, these two characters who apparently, it says they made a shipwreck of their faith and, and blasphemed the truth. He's warning, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't have this gangrene eating away at you as it did with these two guys who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. That's what they did. That's what those guys were guilty of. People were lost because of this happening. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. He knows you. He knows where you are. He knows where you stand. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Do you know these terms? Do you recognize the, the smell in the air and, and the vibrations of sound when you're standing in the presence of iniquity or a bad spirit or a critical spirit or someone with rottenness that's trying to infect you, that's trying to get the gangrene on you. Do you know what that smells like, what it feels like? Have you tasted of it? We've got to know. We've got to know and we've got to stand for the flock. Our final instruction is in verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver. How many know that this is a great house? But also of wood and of earth. You know, the gold and the, and the, and the silver vessels were used very, very preciously. They were used for special things. They were to hold special things. You didn't pot your plants in the vessels of gold. You didn't throw dirt in there. You didn't toss your garbage in there while you're cooking and cutting your vegetables up. But there are vessels of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. You know, some vessels are used to throw the garbage in, right? You have a garbage can in your kitchen. 
Some vessels are to honor, some are to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, another scripture planted right in the middle of this, we all know so well, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender stripes. And here's our final word in verse 24. You can stand with me tonight. Our final word in verse 24. The servant of the Lord must not strive. That is the, the root word of that is strife. It's just constantly reaching, constantly grabbing, constantly struggling for. A servant must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. You know what he's saying there? It's very simple. When we're presented with these challenges, when we're presented with these situations, we need to turn the devil on, uh, turn the table on the devil. They can't be preaching to us. We've got to preach to them. There are people that entangle with Christians solely the, for, for the purpose of spewing negativity. They're angry. They're, they're fighting themselves. Paul said it in there, those that oppose themselves. When he says oppose themselves, he's talking about people that are doing things detrimental to their nature, to their character, to their souls. And so when people do that, they begin to get bitter and they get angry because what they're fulfilling themselves with is not, is not, it's not working out the way the devil laid it out for them, right? The devil dangles all these things. If I partake of this, I'm going to be happy. If I can dress a certain way, I can be happy. If I can drink what I want, I can be happy. And so they begin to try to fulfill this way and they get bitter and they get angry. And so now they're opposing themselves. And so now, because they have all this frustration and anger, of course, the spirit, those four spirits, the three in Jude and the one in second, uh, second chapter of Revelations, those things hate ministry. They hate leaders in the church. They hate elders in the church. They want to destroy you. Those spirits want to see you go down. You understand? They're opposing themselves. And so those spirits operating them are driving them to then attack and hurt. And we've got to do our best to turn the table on the enemy and say, no more, no more. I'm sorry, I'm not going to listen to that anymore. I'm sorry, I can't be in this company anymore. I want to share the truth with you. I'm willing to talk, but you've got to stop that. Paul said, give them once, give them twice, and if it doesn't work, it's time to move on. All I'm saying to you folks is that it's going to get rougher. It's going to get tougher. And if you've got a John Adab in your life, time to roll. If you've got somebody that just won't listen to reason, if you've got people that are attacking, 
If you're feeling that in your spirit, you're, you're, you're smelling that fragrance of, of something ain't right, you're feeling that check in your Holy Ghost that something ain't right, it's time to stand tall, Christian of abundant life. That scripture passage right there says, if you do this, you'll be made worthy, an honorable vessel that God can use. There is nothing more fulfilling. There's nothing more exciting. There's nothing more uh, gracious and wonderful to feel and to know that God has called you and you're being used in that ministry. Can I get an amen? from somebody? Is somebody operating in a ministry right now? Are you operating in something that God's called you to do and you're feeling the fulfillment of that right now? That's the joy of serving God. That's the joy of standing for what we've got to stand for. And today's the day and now's the hour. This altar is open, folks. Let's come together. Let's come together as the body of Christ, as the flock and say, God, I stand for the flock. I stand for my family. I stand for my children. I stand for my leaders. I stand for my elders. I stand for my pastor. And you watch and see what God's going to continue to do with this work as we guard ourselves and we move forward stronger and more weary of the devil's works, but knowing what he's capable of. Amen. Thank you for... Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.